Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Of sorts. Um, news to me, very exciting news, because who doesn't love a magician? Um, Chris spoke last week and, and asked Jake whether he'd got any bookings, to which he had none, very sadly. Um, I've got good news for you, though, this week. Perry Perrins, as is his stage name, has received his first booking. <laughs> very exciting, isn't it? It's not quite the O2, it's not quite even the Marlowe or anything like that. It's a one-year-old's birthday party. Um, <laughs> So if you can't impress a one-year-old with a cheap magic trick, then, you know, you should not take your career any further. So there's no pressure on him. If you see him in the next couple of weeks, just ask him how his practice is getting along. Um, But speaking of um, magic tricks, um, we're we're thinking about today uh, another magic, I mean, miracle of Jesus. Uh, One of the miracles that that Jesus performed. We're going to be looking at Matthew 15, uh, 21. When I was preparing this talk... Um, there's so many miracles that you could choose from to speak about, 35 to be precise, that are recorded in the Bible. Um, I, I thought about doing the feeding of the 5,000, but that's been done before. The walking on water, that's been done before. So I just decided to read through um, all of the miracles and see which one stood out. This one stood out to me for a couple of reasons, which we'll get to um, when we read it. So let's have a read through now, and then we'll come back and rip it apart line by line. This is called um, Jesus Sends a Demon Out of a Girl in my Bible. It might be titled something differently in yours. Matthew 15, 21 says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away, Tell her, go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the dogs. No, excuse me, food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now I'm aware that there'll be a few parents in the room this morning that think their children uh, have demons living within them. Uh, This could be of huge encouragement to you, and we can see what we learn about how to deal with your demon child whilst we go through this morning's talk. So pay attention and take notes if you need to. As with any um, text that you you may read or look at in the Bible, it's good to have a good understanding of it. And the way to get a good understanding of it is to understand the context of what's going on at the time. Because a text without a context can quite often be a con. So let's get some context. Thank you. That's good, yeah. Three years at uni, that's what I learned. Let's get some context then for this text that we've just read. Um, Matthew 14 is the chapter before Matthew 15. And in Matthew 14, we see Jesus doing loads and loads of things. Uh, He's feeding the 5,000 in that chapter. He's walking on water. He's healing a load of people that come to him. Uh, He's teaching people all day for, for a number of weeks at a time. So we get to this part here in Matthew 15, 21, 
where uh, we have Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Put a little map on the screen there for you so that you can get some sort of idea of what's going on. The Sea of Galilee uh, is a very important part of Jesus' ministry. A lot of what he did, particularly in Matthew chapter 14 and 15, happened in and around that region of Galilee. And then he goes north to this region of Tyre and Sidon. It's about 30 miles away, um, and it's about as far north as Jesus ever went. Um, nowhere else is recorded that he goes any further north than that. Now, for me, as someone who grew up and, and was born and raised in Portsmouth, the idea of going north was a very alien idea to me. Okay, I, I'm a southerner through and through. I don't like the idea of going up north. Uh, the people have six fingers on each hand, and they all talk in a way that you just can't understand what they're saying. Okay, that, that's just my, my vision of what's going on up north. In when I, when, I, when I moved here, um, there was a saying that anything north of the Watford Gap is up north. But for me, anything north of Portsmouth was up north in reality. For me, the M1 is just this weird road that stretches to a land that looks a lot like Mordor, that has like these barren plains stretching on and on, volcanoes spewing ash, dark lords sitting in towers. That was the north for me. So for me as a southerner, my question is... Why on earth would Jesus go north? <laughs> why would he go here? Why, why would he go to the place of Tyre and Sidon? Answer can be found in Mark. Mark's account of the same story. It says this, gives us that extra bit of detail. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He didn't want anyone knowing um, which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Now, this is something Jesus did quite often. He sort of got away from wherever it was that he was doing his ministry, wherever it was he was working. Uh, sometimes he took the disciples with him, sometimes he went by himself. Essentially, he went north, metaphorically speaking, to create some space for him and his disciples, just to get away, to pray, refocus, relax, have that R&R time, that special time where they can go and be with God and, and just be with God. He doesn't want anyone knowing um, where is he staying? Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I want to say that it's so important for us as, as Christians to be following the example of Jesus. If Jesus does something, it stands to reason that we should be doing that something as well. And I think it's so important that we are creating space, going north, metaphorically speaking, for, for that time with God in our daily lives um, and, and at sort of important times of our lives. Maybe we've got a big decision to make. We should certainly be following Jesus' advice and withdrawing for times of prayer. Now, I love church. I, I love small group. I love going to Christian festivals, etc. But the times in my life where I have felt like the closest to God and I've heard him speak the loudest and clearest has been when it's just been me and him. In that daily time that I spend with him, and when I talk to people about this, so often, so many people say that they don't really do it. They don't have that daily time with God. They don't go north, metaphorically speaking, for that special time with God. And it's so, so important that we do. The number one reason that people say is, I'm too busy, or I don't have enough time. I want to politely suggest that that's rubbish. We all have 24 hours in a day. Okay, you have the same 24 hours as I do. Um, and it is achievable. I remember before I was a Christian, my morning routine, right, my, my, my mindset back then was to maximise the amount of time I had in bed. 
Anyone else? Right, the alarm, that's, that can just wait. So what I do, particularly when I was at school, I had to be at school at about 8.30 in the morning. So what I'd do is I'd set my alarm at about 7.45, full well knowing that that would give me, give me the maximum amount of time in bed and still I'm able to get up, uh, brush my teeth, have breakfast. If I was sitting next to the girl I fancied, I'd spray some Lynx Africa. That's well worth your 10 seconds in the morning. Uh, and then I'd be off to school and I could get there in time. That was just my routine. That's the way I grew up. But when I became a Christian and I gave my life to Jesus, my church at the time was absolutely excellent in terms of teaching about just what life should look like as a Christian. And I remember one of the first talks here I heard was about having that first time in the morning, giving that to God. The principle of the first fruit. Because when you get to the evening and you've had a whole day or you've had a whole couple of weeks ministry or whatever, you're knackered and you just want to get away and you just want to go to bed. So the idea for me now um, is I set my alarm half hour earlier than I need to. And I have done ever since I was 19 when I became a Christian. So for the last two years. <laughs> every, every day. Well, not, not every day. That would be lying if I said that every day. But that's part of my routine that I spend that time with God. And those are the times when I've heard God speak those are the times I've uh, felt closest to God um, in my life. And I, 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 I recommend, I'm not going to say I guarantee it will happen for you, but I highly recommend every single person doing that, giving that first portion of your day to God. I've talked with people before about this, um, and they say, you know, I, I give um, the last sort of five, ten minutes of my day to God just before I go to bed, and I, I pray. Um, it's a little bit like this, if, if you were inclined. I brought a sandwich with me this morning just in case I get bored of speaking to you lot. Um, let's just say that this represents time, okay? 24 hours in a day, this is my 24-hour-a-day sandwich. We all have things that we need to do with our day, okay? We all need to sleep. Some of us sleep more than others, if we're not blessed with a child. Um, most of us will go to work, yeah? Takes up time, um, you get home from work, you're a little bit tired, you just want to veg out, you've got to get your Netflix subscriptions money's worth, haven't you? All right? Takes a bit more time. Excuse me. Well, I just push it over to this side of my mouth. The football season's just started again. That takes time. I've been watching a lot of football lately. I'd better take Amy out for a date. <laughs> All take more and more time. Excuse me. <laughs> and what you're left with at the end of the day is this. After all those things that have gone on, and if we're going down the road of, well, I'm going to give you know, that last bit of the day to God, that's what you're doing. Imagine if you came round to my house, I said, come on over, I'll cook for you. And then you get there and you say, hi Chris, what's for dinner? I say, well, I've been a bit busy today, I've had loads of other things on, I've watched football, I've been to work, I've had a sleep, uh, so this is your dinner. Well, it's better than nothing, isn't it? No, of course not, you'd rather have nothing <laughs> than that. And that's what we do if we don't give God that first time of our day, we end up just giving him something that looks a little bit like this. So if that's you this morning and, and you haven't got that first part of your day, can I encourage you just to rethink your morning routine and just put that time and put that effort in to your relationship with God? Be like Jesus. Get away from things. Create space. Go north. 
metaphorically speaking. Do you want that, Mikey? I'll put that away, <laughs> probably for the best. The bottom line is this. If Jesus valued it, and he did, we should value it too. So the first thing we've learned this morning then, we're going to recap as we go. Go north, metaphorically speaking. Create space in your life for time with God. Do you want a sandwich, Mikey? I won't give you a sandwich. That would be irresponsible of me. Um, second part, let's move on then. Um, Matthew 15, 22 and 23. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. This, this response from Jesus is one of the reasons why I thought I'd talk about this this morning, because this jumped out at me as a little bit weird. I had two reactions to this verse when I first read it. My first reaction was, wow, I am so Christ-like, because it's very often that Amy will be talking to me and I will give her no reply, not even a word. But what I don't think that Matthew is trying to do here in his writing is give husbands permission to ignore and not listen to their wives. Okay, you can't read that into it, I don't think. My second reaction to this um, was, wow, what a weird response from Jesus. Okay, this woman has come to him begging and pleading for something that she knows he can do in an instant. Heal my daughter. Jesus' response was to give her no reply. Not even a word. Completely ignore her almost. Question is then, why was Jesus silent? Why has he given her no reply? Not even a word. I think for most people, um, if we're we're going to be honest, silence from God is probably something a lot of us have struggled with in our prayer lives. Whether you've been a Christian for years, whether you've been a Christian weeks, whether you're agnostic, whether you're atheist, we probably... A lot of people have prayed at some point, and I'm sure a lot of people will have experienced that silence from God. Something that I've been struggling with over the last few months, in fact, um, Martin spoke a few months ago about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that I've really struggled with sort of throughout my time as a Christian. Um, I've always sort of wanted like a a Holy Spirit experience, if you like. So uh, if you might, if you've been to festivals or been around the the block a little bit, you might have seen people uh, sort of shaking or falling over or screaming or crying, laughing, whatever it might be. I've always wondered what that's like because that's never happened for me. I've always wondered what it feels like. So when I first became a Christian, every church service I was at, every festival I went to, I would always go forward and ask for prayer. I remember one time I was at New Wine, which is a sort of a family um, conference, West Country sort of way, and, and the guy said, come forward if you want a, you know, a miracle, receive the Holy Spirit, whatever it might be. So I went forward, and he said, all you need to do is put your hands out. So I put my hands out, and I said, all you need to do is ask God, would you come and fill me? Because he can and he will. So I put my hands out. I said, God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? The guy on my left falls over. The guy on my right falls over. The massive bloke in front of me falls over right between my legs. Seriously, looking up my shorts. And I'm stood there. I'm just like, well, go on then, God. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Give me something like that. And you know what God's response was? Silence. No reply. Not even a word. And I think over the years, if I'm honest... I've been a bit like a kid with a Christmas present that, you know, you might write it on Santa's list, you might ask your parents, your grandparents for it, 
you don't get it, Christmas comes and goes, you sort of forget about it after a while. Not that I've forgotten about that Buzz Lightyear that I never got when I was four. <laughs> but I, I've kind of stopped asking. Though if you do want to buy me a Buzz Lightyear for Christmas, that's on the 25th of December this year. But I've kind of stopped asking for the Holy Spirit. And when Martin spoke a few months ago, I just thought, yeah, you know, I should get back on that. I should start asking again, make it part of my daily routine. And so I've been doing that the last few months. Do you know what God's reply to me has been? Silence. No reply. Not even a word. And I don't know why. I don't have an answer, by the way, for this question, why is God silent sometimes? If you're looking for an answer, I don't have one for you. Um, you get what you pay for. There's a really good book, though, I should recommend. I've listened to it on, um, on audio books called God on Mute by Pete Gregg. Really recommend reading it, listening to it, um, if you're struggling with this idea of silence in your prayer life. The one standout thing for me... Well, there's loads of things. Well, one thing I can remember. So the one thing that stood out for me um, was this idea that Jesus had prayers that were met with silence. Now, I've read the Gospels like a, a number of times, which I always find funny, that phrase, because like, one is a number, isn't it? But when you say a number of times, people think, oh, loads. No, but one is a number. Um, I've read it about 10, 15 times through the Gospels, but I've never noticed that before, that Jesus had prayers that were met with silence. John 17, he prays that the church and all future believers would be unified. That's not true today. You only need to look at the amount of denominations that we've got in the world to see that the church is not unified. I don't even think there's such a thing as a, like a local church that is uni unified on all things. Second prayer that Jesus prayed that went unanswered was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup of suffering from me. And I think for us as believers, we actually can be quite pleased that that prayer was not answered because it was that suffering, that death, that resurrection that brought the new life for us and that relationship with God. So God has a bigger plan sometimes in the silence. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for me. I don't know why I don't feel like God is just filling me with the Holy Spirit like I know he could. I don't know why God's being silent on your prayers. But I do know if you are having prayers that are met with silence, you're in good company. Okay, because you've got Jesus there and I'm there as well. That might put you off a little bit. But there's a lot of people who have got prayers that are met with silence. First thing we learned then this morning, go north, metaphorically speaking. Create time for yourself and God in your daily life and the important times in your life. Number two, don't be surprised if God is silent. Just because you open the Bible for five minutes in the morning doesn't mean God's going to reveal the secrets of heaven to you that afternoon. Okay, it'd be nice if he did, but don't be surprised if God is silent sometimes. You're in good company. How do we respond to this silence then? It's the next thing we'll have a look at in this um, story. It's one of my favourite images in all of football there. Um, Matthew 15, 25. She came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 um, called The Persistent Widow. And there's one line in it where he says, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? 
The idea being and what he's saying is never give up. Don't just pray once, twice, three times and, and then stop. Keep going with it. Come to him again. Cry out to him. Worship him again and again and say, help me, bring your request to him. I love what Chris said last week about how he prayed something when he was 32 and then God answered when he was 55, was it? Which is mad because I thought you were 41. <laughs> um, years later, years later, this, this prayer has been met. Never give up. Don't give in with your prayer life. Be persistent in the silence. Jesus' response to her, to this, this is another reason why I've chosen this passage to look at today. Again, it's a bit weird. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. It's a bit rude, isn't it? Okay, sometimes people think Jesus says all this lovely, fluffy stuff, like love your neighbours, pray for those who persecute, all this stuff. He also says some really weird stuff. If you, if you read what Jesus says, there's some weird stuff in there. There's some quite harsh stuff. This is one of them. Um, and to really understand what's going on here, to really understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand, um, have a bit more context, understand the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. If Jesus was a Jew, now the Jewish people were God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. We're first introduced to them in the book of Exodus, um, where they're in slavery, and then Moses sort of brings them out of Egypt um, into the promised land. That's them sort of set up there, waiting for Jesus, their Messiah. Um, this woman that he's talking to is a Gentile. And now I was planning, and I did some research, and I was planning to do some like, amazing theological talk about the differences between Jews and Gentiles and what a Gentile really is. But I can't, because it's so flipping simple. The definition of a Gentile is not Jewish. <laughs> so you have a Jewish, the Jewish community, the, the people of Israel, and then you have everybody else. I myself am included in that, so I would be classed as a Gentile. Um, however, there's a relationship going on between these two groups of people. The chosen people of God, the Jews, um, people of Israel, they became um, almost quite superior in their view of themselves compared to everybody else. Like I said earlier, I'm from Portsmouth. We are a superior group of people down in Portsmouth. We have, um, we have a neighbouring city called Southampton. Um, anyone from Southampton? Good. Because we have a nickname for them from Southampton, which um, is, is a term of endearment, if you like, we call them scummers. It goes back to uh, the, the dock workers a couple of hundred years ago. People from Southampton would come down to Portsmouth uh, and essentially steal our jobs, you know, that, that old story. And so the people, the good folk of Portsmouth, uh, would refer to these people as scummers. It's worked its way into, um, into the football scene now, and if you're ever at Fratton Park or watching anywhere Portsmouth go and play, you will hear a song that goes something like this. He's only a poor little scummer. His face is all tatty and torn. He made me feel sick, so I hit him with a brick. And now he don't sing anymore. <laughs> and just in case you're left in, uh, in any doubt as to how the good folk of Portsmouth feel about scummers, I mean people from Southampton, um, that's often very quickly followed up with a quick rendition of we hate scummers, we hate scummers, we hate scummers. Doesn't even matter if we're playing Southampton. I went to the Portsmouth Millwall game on Tuesday night. It was sung twice there. Not a person from Southampton in sight. But then based on the level of intelligence I saw from some of the Millwall fans, they probably don't even know what Southampton is. Um, 
It's mad. <laughs> if you want a good night out, go to Millwall. So there's this, animo not animosity, but there's this looking down upon people from Southampton if you're a good folk of Portsmouth. And that's very similar to the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people would have looked down upon the Gentiles. So for Jesus to even be entertaining a conversation with this woman was revolutionary in itself. Whenever I discover that I've been talking to a scummer, I go and wash my hands very, very quickly. And so for him to talk to her is, is incredible. The Jews also had a nickname for the Gentiles. Greek word there, kuon. And it refers to a dog, or more specifically, a scavenger dog. Now, these, um, these were quite common back in Israel, so everyone would have known what they were talking about. It's not a pet dog. It's sort of a wild dog. Would have gone around in packs, um, would have been rabid, carried diseases with it. And that's the nickname that the Jews had for Gentiles. So when Jesus says it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, what some people would have understand, understood by that is Jesus saying, uh, it's not right for me to, to do anything with you Gentiles. It's not right for me to have anything to do with you. But that's not the word for dog that Jesus is using here. Instead, he's using this word, kunerion, which means little dog or puppy dog. Recently, a few of our friends have just gone through the stage of getting dogs. And um, I actually love going around to meet new dogs. I'd much rather meet a dog than I would a baby. Because when you go around to meet a friend who's just had a baby, the baby's either asleep, it's crying, or it's just pooed itself. And either one of those things I'm not interested in, just call me when it's more interesting and it can do some things. But when you go and see a little puppy dog, it's exciting. It's chasing its tails, it's yapping, it's trying to bite you and just figuring life out. And it's exciting. And my reaction to it is, doggy! And they come and they run at you and you pet them and it's lovely and it's fun. That is the word Jesus is using there. He's not using the common insult for the time. He's saying, no, look, you're... It's not right to take food to children and throw it to the family pet dog. And it creates this image that this woman understands. She says in Matthew 15, 27, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's tables. Her response there shows that she gets it, that she gets what Jesus is saying, that in it she's painting this picture of this family meal where the master's sat at the table, the children are there, and look how happy that dog is just to be sat at the feet of the table, just gathering up the scraps. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was there primarily and firstly for the Jews, the people of Israel. And it wasn't until his life, or sorry, his death and his resurrection that his ministry then expued. That's when the Gentiles were included as part of this family dinner that this woman is, is understanding here. What he said to her is not an insult. It's a revolutionary invitation. For a Jew to even entertain the idea of entertaining a Gentile at their dinner um, would have led to spiritual uncleanliness. To have someone in their home at their table who was a Gentile was a massive no-no at the time. But Jesus invites her in. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus invites you in to his family today. doesn't matter whether you're, you're old, young, um, black, white, male, female, whatever it is, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you. He doesn't care about spiritual uncleanliness. That was broken down at the cross.
That isn't a thing anymore. Jesus died once and for all for every single person, even for dogs and scummers. That invitation is extended to you this morning. If you haven't accepted it yet, consider that this morning. First thing we learn, go north, metaphorically speaking. Create some space in your time, in your, in your life for Jesus. Don't be surprised if God is silent. Everyone's invited, even dogs and scummers. Everyone is invited into this family. So let's talk about the actual miracle then, because I realise we haven't talked about the miracle yet. Um, I re- I'm well aware that there'll be people in here who, who need a miracle or who have been crying out for a miracle. Um, maybe your, your prayers have been met with silence. But I'm well aware there's loads of different situations, loads of different things that people are facing. There's a question that I think is, A, a terrible theological question, but I think is actually a really honest question that a lot of us will have asked at some point, and that is, how do you get a miracle? I've asked that question before when I've been in need of one. Like I say, I think it's a terrible theological question, but I think it's honest. You know, if you're in need of a miracle, how do you get one? So what can we learn then from the miracles of Jesus that are written in the Bible about how to get a miracle? Not much is my answer to that. I don't think we can learn much about how to get a miracle today because there seems to be no rhyme or reason to some of Jesus' miracles. There seems to be no consistency with what he's doing. Um, For instance, sometimes he heals with a word, sometimes he heals with a touch, sometimes he heals with mud, and sometimes it's his robe that is doing the healing. There's nothing I can see there that suggests I should hold my hands out or touch someone and then a miracle will happen. Um, one minute Jesus is healing the blind, the next he's raising the dead. One minute he's calming the storm, the next he's performing a mass exorcism. So when I look at the Bible, I don't see much that we can learn about how to get a miracle today. But I do see one thing that I want to share with you and end on. Matthew fifteen twenty-eight. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. If you read through um, the miracles of Jesus, which I I'd highly recommend doing in your time with Jesus this week, um, you'll notice one thing. Well, I notice one thing that is common in, in a lot of them, and that is faith. Because there are times when Jesus says to people, uh, where is your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. And there are times when Jesus says, uh, your faith has made you well. Your faith is granted. Uh, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter's instantly healed. Faith just seems to be the one key thing that I can see in the miracles of Jesus that is important. I'm not going to talk too much about faith because Keely did a fantastic talk on that a few weeks ago. So good, in fact, I've listened to it twice. Twice! So good. I recommend going back and listening to that because she talks a lot about what faith is and isn't. One quote from her, faithfulness is a doing word. This woman has faith, shows that faith by coming to Jesus. She doesn't just sit around at home waiting for Jesus to come to her, believing that he can heal her. Her faith is active. She goes and speaks to Jesus. There's a number of other times in a number of stories where people are active And Jesus sees their faith because they go, they do something, and they speak to him. Listen to Keeley's talk. Four things we've learned today, then. Go north, metaphorically speaking. 
Create some space for yourself and God in your daily routine. Don't be surprised if God is silent. You're in good company. Everyone's invited into the family of God, even dogs and scummers, and faith is incredibly important to the miracles. Shall we stand? I'm going to play um, a song to finish. It's about 10 minutes long. If you get bored seven minutes through, you can leave. I won't be offended. If you think 10 minutes, bung that, I'm off now, that's fine as well. Um, it talks about increasing faith. It talks about stories of, of healings and miracles that have increased our faith. That is what the stories of Jesus' miracles are about, to help us understand and believe that he can do these things. So the lyrics will be on the screen. If you want to sing, please do. Um, if you just want to be, please do. But let's pray, and then we'll end. Father, thank you so much for the miracles that you do. Lord, I pray for miracles here today in people's lives. For those who are crying out to you for a miracle, Lord, I pray that you would do something. I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray that you would break any silence that you may have been responding to people with. But I thank you for that silence. It gives us an opportunity to exercise our faith. If you want someone to pray for you while this is going on please turn to someone and ask please exercise that faith don't just stand there hoping someone might come to you ask someone to pray for you amen thank you for listening if you would like to contact us about this talk to hear more or to find out about riverside church Whitstable then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>